0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter one. That's where we are. Well, where we will be for a while, working through the book of Ephesians. This is our life. There's an app for that teaching series. We're going to talk about vision this morning. You guys enjoying this heat? How many just absolutely love this heat? Okay. There was few. There was more in the first service. More in the first service. How many actually are wanting it to get hotter and can't hardly wait? Show of hands. Okay. You guys are sick. <laughs> sick in the head. Um, how many do not like this heat and this is too soon to have this much heat right now? Okay. Okay. Too bad. <laughs> Ready or not, here it comes. And so, uh, I've got my drinks up here. I've added one. Java monster. Thank you very much. So I'm going to work through this and then I'll just pour this one right over the ice and we're just going to keep going all day. (laughs) Praise God. So we got a great teaching here this morning. Uh, We're talking about apps. App is short for application. It is a tool that helps you to perform a task that makes life easier and better. The book of Ephesians is an app for life. It's laid out in the way that you should be living the Christian life. It starts with the wealth. First three chapters, wealth. Oh my goodness, do you have any idea what kind of wealth you have in Jesus? I mean, that's really what he's saying in the first three chapters. The next three chapters, chapters four through six, he talks about our walk. So first three, riches. Second three, our responsibilities. By the way, if you're not doing so well in the area of responsibilities or living out the Christian life or your walk, you don't redouble your efforts, try harder, you don't focus on your walk, you go back to your what? Your wealth, back to the riches. There's some kind of a disconnect. You don't understand all that He has provided for you. In fact, we've said this over the last few weeks, and uh, I want to start by saying this statement again. We have everything we need already in us through Christ to live the kind of life we all dream about. It's yours. It's available now. Third uh, third verse of chapter one of Ephesians, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, everything you need, absolute language, in the heavenly places. You remember what we said the first week? It was Easter weekend and we talked about what the term blessed means when we say, hey, I bless you or God bless you. It's more than just I wish you well. This is what blessed means. It is to have everything our heart needs and longs for to be totally fulfilled and to experience complete well-being. So total fulfillment, complete well-being. That's what he's talking about. We have the blessings of God. So here's Here's the deal. Everybody look up here. Here's the deal. I'm convinced of this. And I hope you are too. If not, if you hang out with us long enough, I hope to to get you to that place through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and the study of God's word. I'm convinced of of this, that the Christian life is the most life-liberating and the most soul-satisfying life there is. And if you're not kind of like, yeah, 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 it's because either you don't know Jesus or you're not walking in vital union with Jesus. If that doesn't resonate within you and say, yeah, mm, I, yeah, I want more of that, then uh, you don't know him or you're not walking in vital union with him. Because I'm convinced of that. So let me ask you this, and in fact this, this sense of understanding who Christ is and what he's done for us should create within us a sense of wow, wow, And mm, wow, his greatness, mm, his goodness, wow. Life liberating, mm, soul satisfying. So does that characterize you? Would people watch your life from the outside looking in, watch you how you conduct your life? Would they say, I want what they've got in their relationship with, with God? It can be, should be. That's the Christian life. I mean, that's why he spends the, the first three chapters, and, and Paul typically does this. He lays out, this is who we are in Christ. This is what we have. Do you have any idea? Are you living in the reality of that? And so, let me ask you that question once again, as it relates to you, but also, then why do you think, if you're not living in the reality of that, Why do you? and also, as you look around on the Christian landscape here in America today, why are so many Christians not living up to their privilege and potential? Why are you not living up to your potential and your privilege? I think it's a lack of vision. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's an interesting story. Um, The late newspaper publisher, William Randolph Hearst, who invested a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world, one day Mr. Hearst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he must own So he sent his agent abroad to find them, and after months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. They were in Mr. Hearst's warehouse. Hearst had been searching frantically for treasures he already owned. Had he read the catalog of his treasures, he would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble. This is the catalog of our treasures that we have in Jesus Christ. I like what Helen Keller said. She was asked, once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? Now, keep in mind, she was both blind and deaf, really struggled. Pretty amazing story, but so she was asked, is there anything worse than being blind? She said, yes, it's having eyesight with no vision. I believe our problem is vision. It's a lack of vision, and that's uh, our study here today. And in fact, maybe you're familiar with a very popular verse, often hijacked by uh, motivational gurus, and, and, and oftentimes even by Christians who misapply it and misappropriate it. It's, it's a verse, it's Proverbs 29:18. In fact, maybe, it, see if you can complete the verse, at least the, the part that I leave out. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You know that? Are you familiar with that? Do you know the rest of the verse, though? I think oftentimes we we miss the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse is the answer to where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The rest of the verse goes like this. But blessed is he. Remember the word blessed? Total fulfillment, complete well-being. Blessed is he who keeps the law. He's answering the the question about vision. In fact, I studied this and I found this really quite interesting. When you do a a kind of a word search and you kind of look through the words in Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, where there is no vision, the word vision means ecstatic state. It has the idea of being overjoyed, delighted, and thrilled. So it gives you the idea of passion. So where there's no passion, vision passion, overjoyed, delighted, thrilled, ecstatic state. The people perish. Literally, some translations even say unrestrained or no direction, no purpose. You have no sense of purpose or direction with your life. And then he answers it for us, but blessed, total fulfillment, complete well-being, is he who keeps the law. What is he saying? What does that mean? Keeps the law. Well, He's saying this the law represents God's word, and it means that God's word that we It it rules our life, and, and it's more than ruling our life, it's our interaction with God on a regular, consistent basis becomes the rule of our life. In other words, God's Word, our primary way of interacting with God, knowing God, hearing from God, when we learn it, love it, and live it, it will cultivate passion within our life. It will give us direction in our life. Therefore, we're no longer unrestrained, but we have an appetite for God and an experience with God that exceeds all other appetites and experiences in this life. That's really what he's saying. If you're not excited about Jesus, it's because you need vision. You need to begin to see him more clearly for who he is and what he has in store for you and what he wants to do in your life. Without vision, the people perish. Otherwise, you will perish. You will be unrestrained. You'll have lack any kind of direction um, and purpose and passion for your life. And so what we're looking at this morning, this text... Verses 15 through 23 is a model prayer for vision, enlightenment, insight, illumination. It is a prayer to see what eyes can't see. I'm going to pray part of this prayer. At the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer for yourself and those that are sitting around you, and we'll eventually get there. But let me begin with a word of prayer. We'll pray this, we'll read the text, and then we'll unpack it with the notes there sitting in front of you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's once again go before the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our study of God's word. Glorious Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and have lavished us with the riches of your grace. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know the hope to which you have called us and to know the riches of your glorious inheritance in us and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at the text, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you're new with us, and you're kind of new to this whole Bible thing, Bible's divided up into books, and then there's chapters, and then there's verses, and that's all we're looking at there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up in the information as you're leaving here today and bring it back with you next week, because that's typically what we study week in and week out here. We typically kind of go through books of the Bible. From time to time, we'll do topical studies, but there'll always be a kind of a primary text that we're looking at. And our primary text this morning is Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Let me read this. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, I love those words. In some translations, actually saying the glorious Father. Great words. That the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom in revelation in the knowledge of Him. What is he talking about there? Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. It's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Revelation would be like uh, if I had a statue up here and I had a sheet over the statue and then I pulled the sheet off of the statue so you could see the statue, that would be revelation. That would be unveiling, which is really what that word means. And so he's praying that you would have a spirit and attitude of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That you just wouldn't know about God. You would have an experience with God. You would encounter him. You would walk with him and know him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? The word hope in the Bible is not, I'm I, i I'm hoping this happens, but it's more of a I know so. It's a confident, joyful expectation that you would know the hope. Confident, joyful expectation in which he has called you. He has invited you into a completely, totally different kind of life. And then he says that, The riches of his glorious inheritance. Whose? Who's the his? His. It's God that we are his. The riches of his glorious inheritance. In us, the saints. Those who, who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he kind of goes on and describes this power almost kind of in a, as he's praying this prayer for them, he's kind of meditating on the implications of what that means according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, three questions. We're looking at what is, why do we need vision? Kind of alluded to that, talked about that a little bit. Why do we need vision? What is vision and how can I have greater vision for my life? So why do we need vision? Verse 29, 18 says, because we will perish. You'll be unrestrained. Here's the deal. If you don't have vision, if you don't have a vision of who God is and what he wants to do in your life, you're going to chase after anything and everything else. You're going to make something else other than God the priority, the passion, the purpose of your life. That's, that's why you need Vision. Some of you are right there. I mean, that's what you're chasing after. You're more excited. Your thoughts are dominated. Your deepest emotion is stirred. And your behavior, you know, you effortlessly kind of point your direction of, of your life as in the direction of something other than Christ. And, and we, we are led astray. We, we might think we have purpose, but ultimately the purpose that we we have invested our life into is, is fleeting. It's not going to last. It's, it's, it's going to be ultimately unfulfilling. And so why do we need... Vision, we will be unrestrained, lack purpose and direction. I like what C.S. Lewis says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink, sex, and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we're too easily pleased. And in this, this is from uh, his, I don't know if it's a sermon or his talk called The Weight of Glory. He actually says, we are too much like little kids playing in a mud puddle when there's a Caribbean cruise awaiting for us. I mean, we would rather play in the mud puddle. There are things that we we pursue and we chase after that are, there's, in, in many ways, there's not, nothing wrong with that, but we've turned something that is a good thing into an ultimate thing in our life rather than to make him the ultimate. And, um, and so that's what C.S. Lewis says. Let me give you a couple, you know, the first fill in the blanket. In fact, here's what's interesting about this as we've been studying through this, and I, I've said this the last couple of weeks, that the verses four, actually verses three All the way to 14 is just one long run on sentence. You guys remember that when I said that? Well, it doesn't stop there because verses 15 to the end of the chapter is just one long run on sentence. In other words, he is so elated, he is unrestrained, and can't hardly articulate it, so that therefore it causes the translators to have a real hard time to find out where they put the the commas and the periods. And so it's just this. And that's what happens when you begin to see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. And so I'm going to give you my version of it right here in the fill in the blanks. And so let me go through my kind of run on sentence with the one, two, three, first four points. But you don't don't try to fill in all the blanks, okay? Just stay with me. I'm going to read through it and then you can come back and we'll work through each one. So why do we need vision? It is the enlightenment of believers to see more clearly what we already have in Christ so that we can face anything with humble confidence to the praise of his glory? That's the answer to that question. Now let's go back through each one of those. So why do we need vision? It is the enlightenment of believers. Did you notice that he's talking to believers? That shouldn't surprise you. But then he's praying this prayer for believers. Well, I thought believers already had their eyes open. Yeah, but not to the degree that they need to have their eyes open. You can be a believer and you can put your faith in Jesus and yet not see Christ for who he is to the degree that would totally ravish your heart. That's what he's getting at here. Verses 15 through 16, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Faith and love summarize and characterize the Christian life. Faith in the Lord Jesus will inevitably lead to love, notice, for who? For all the saints, saints meaning all the Christians, all those who call on the name of Christ, and meaning all the saints, which is really unique in this culture, because there was a pecking order. There was this uh, different socioeconomic groups, and and they tend to have a lot of uh, prejudices and and biases and all these other things. And I'm sure glad we don't have that in our culture today. But actually, we do, don't we? But, but he was saying all the saints, meaning every ethnic group, every race, every culture, every, every person, that you will have love. And it's going to come out of what? It's going to come out of your faith. So if you have faith, it will naturally produce love. So let me ask you this. Are you characterized by faith and love? When people say, wow, they have faith. They have a relationship with God. And then out of that relationship with God, they love everybody. So look back over the beginning of the day. Now that it's gotten really, really hot, I notice that people's fuses are a little short, a little shorter. And so, so let me ask you, look over the, just this morning or the last 24, last 48, this last week, Were you impatient? Did you have some times when you were impatient? (sighs) Unkind? Envy? Boasting? Proud? Easily angered? Keep, you keep records of wrongs? Which would be unforgiving, rude? That's just the list from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's just part of it. So, if you are demonstrating any of those in your life, as I stated already, you don't redouble your efforts, try harder. I'm going to be a more loving person. If it kills me, well, it'll kill you, okay? It, it will. Because you've got to go back to your faith. Because inevitably, this is what you've got to keep in mind what you believe ultimately determines how you behave. So, if your behavior, if you're behaving badly, <laughs> It's because of your belief. So don't try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and I mean, that's—it's not about behavioral modification. The gospel is not about behavioral modification. It's not about a moral restrained will, but it's about a—listen to me—it's about a supernaturally transformed heart. It's about faith in Jesus you have Jesus in your life, you want him more than anything, you want to live for his glory, then your heart is gonna be so filled up with the love of God then that it will be translated into how you respond to people, how you live out your life. And, uh, and so that's, that's important to understand. I, 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 uh, I remember I had graduated from high school, me and a bunch of my buddies. I had a Ranger XLT truck, uh, brought it brand new from uh, Don Sanderson Ford, Right after I graduated, that's what I wanted to do, and I had that slick-looking truck. It was fun, and I had some buddies that had trucks, and we went... Every year, we'd go up to this big family camp up in Prescott, and one day out of the two weeks that everybody would gather, they'd have a big youth weekend, and on this youth weekend, they'd have about five or 600 kids, youth, family members, and then they would, they would bring everybody together about five or six hundred of them and then they would pray and they would kind of set out the order of the day. So I told my buddies, this is what we're going to do. At the end of the prayer, first of all, we're going to fill up the back end of my truck and a couple other trucks with water balloons. And at the end of the prayer when the guy says amen because all their heads are going to be bowed down like that, we're going to, we were set up in such a way that we took the water balloons and just pelted them and they were running scared and they were going all over and it was so much fun. And... Um, it was very mean of us, but we did that. And as soon as the guy said, amen, uh, we just unloaded on him. And, w- and we were kind of up high like I am with you. And so what I thought I would do here this morning, boy, that would be fun. I baptize you in the name of the Father, <laughs> the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Water balloons. That's not how we're going to baptize you next week, okay? But... Uh, this guy, the, the decap uh, was just really ticked off at us and he chased me down and grabbed me by the shoulder like this and started jerking me around. Everybody's huddled around they're thinking we're going to get into a fist fight. And uh, the guy would have probably cleaned my clock, really, he was a big dude. But it was really kind of interesting and this, is, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, when you can start acting like a Christian then you can hang out around us. Now get out of here. It's like, Oh, okay. What does a Christian act like? I'm not really sure about what that even means. Because you told us that we could do that. Of course, you didn't tell us we could do it right at the end of the prayer. But you said we could throw water balloons and stuff like that. And I know that it was probably the wrong timing. And he was ticked off. He was ticked off. And so that kind of echoed around as a young man. I started thinking about that. And I really began to realize that that's the biggest problem with Christians is too many of us are acting like Christians. We're acting like Christians rather than being Christians because if you're you're being a Christian, you're not acting. You're just being what you are. Don't act like a Christian. Be a Christian. Be a Christian. Have a relationship with God. If you have a true relationship with him, you're walking with him, you're experiencing him in your life. It will change your life. And if there's no change coming, you need to take a look at your relationship with him. Is it real? Is it authentic? Are you just kind of going through the motions? Checking the church box, reading a few verses. Are you having an encounter with the living God? Because I'll guarantee you, it will revolutionize your life. It has mine. It has many others that are here at Desert Breeze. That's my heart f- for everyone that comes through these doors, that they would have an encounter with the living God, that they would know him and want him more than anything. See, that's, that, that's the essence of the Christian life. That's why he says faith and love. And so I call Christianity, Christianity is, is love philanthropy. Receiving so much love from God that you recklessly give it away without expecting anything in return. See, that's love philanthropy. That's Christianity. That's real Christianity. And so when I find myself like on edge, ticked off, angry, not responding appropriately, I have to go back, go back to my relationship with God. Okay, God, what's up? I need to work through some stuff. And we're going to talk more about that as we work through this study. Here's the next fill-in-the-blank: to see more clearly what we already have in Christ. So it is the enlightenment of believers to see more clearly what we already have in Christ. Now, verse three of this chapter is the big key verse: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Total fulfillment, complete well-being. With every spiritual blessing, absolute language, it's a done deal. It's yours right now, but we're not often living in the reality of it. And that's why he says, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of our heart. Enlighten the eyes of our heart, so that we might see. If you have everything your heart needs and longs for in Christ, what you need more than anything is prayer for your eyes of your heart to see it. Heard the story of a guy that was—he'd uh, fly into this one particular city, and he always had a friend that lived in that city that would pick him up. And every time this friend would pick him up, he'd always notice his friend didn't buckle a seatbelt. And so it kind of bothered him. He said, "Dude, you need to buckle your seatbelt. It's pretty dangerous to be driving around without a seatbelt. Besides that, now you're gonna—you can get fined if they catch you without that. They'll—they'll they'll write you a ticket." And the guy says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I've already heard all that stuff. And don't tell me what to do. Okay." And he says, well, I'm your friend. Just I really care about you. And, then, and every time he'd fly into the city, the guy wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And then finally, one time when he flew into the city, he noticed that this guy was finally wearing a seatbelt. And he asked him, he says, hey, you don't mind if I ask you this, but why are you now wearing a seatbelt? Because always before, you kind of resisted me, and you fought me. And you... And, and the guy said, well, I have a friend here in, that lives here, and that he was recently in an accident, and uh, he doesn't wear a seatbelt, and he was thrown into the front windshield and had about 100 stitches in his face, he's pretty messed up. And so I thought I'd better start reading. I mean, start uh, using my seatbelt. Start using my seatbelt. And the guy looked at him like, "And you didn't know that? Like that's what I was trying to tell you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that to the degree that. See, and that's what faith is. Faith is more than just an agreement with facts in the head it's an appetite for God in the heart that moves into your behavior and changes the way that you do life. In other words, this guy had wearing a seatbelt was a concept, but now it became a reality to his life. It's like, ah. So it goes from you know, just not just an int- he's, it was intellectually coherent that I've got to wear a seatbelt, but it was existentially compelling. I better put the seatbelt on and remember to do that. And so you saw it, not only was it understood, but it was a conviction that moved to commitment putting the seatbelt on. And so it is with you and I as it relates to our faith in Jesus Christ. Indeed, if we are walking with him and we know him, it's going to make a difference in our life. And, uh, and so that's what it is, to see more clearly what we already have in Christ. I believe that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 6.12 when he says, fight the good fight of faith. What is he talking about? Fight, fight like crazy to see Christ more clearly and to savor him more deeply so that you can show him more contagiously. That's what he's saying. Fight like crazy. The good fight of faith is the daily fight to find infinite and eternal joy in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a fight. There are so many things that try to get my attention and distract me and move me. You guys know how distracted I am. I mean, I, I show a lot of that distraction right even here on Sunday morning. Somebody coughs too loud over here. I'm like, what? What was that? Baby cries back there, hey, shut that kid up. What's wrong with you? You know, that's kind of like, that's what's going through my mind. I don't, fortunately, I don't say everything that goes through my mind. I would empty this place. You guys would be on your knees praying for Pastor Ray. Oh, save his heart. I'm saved. It's just that I have a disconnect sometimes. I get so distracted. You get distracted too. We get distracted by all kinds of things. And we even get deceived into thinking that if I pursue these things, if I pursue this career, this romance, all this money, somehow that will satisfy me. No, it won't. It's temporal. Only he can satisfy your deepest needs. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's saying here. May your eyes be open to the reality of who he is, the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. You'll never be the same. That's what he's praying. That's what we need oh my goodness, I pray this every day for myself and I pray this for our church family. Oh, that we would see you, God, that we would see how glorious you are, that we wouldn't want to play in the mud puddle, but we would want the Caribbean cruise. We would want to know you and walk with you and experience you. And so here's the next one, so that we can face anything with humble confidence. Because if you've got him, you've got everything you need. You can face anything, no matter what you're up against. And I know that many of you are up against some pretty Tough odds. And I'm telling you, if the eyes of your heart could be enlightened in order that you could see the, the, the hope that you have in Him, the glorious hope, and, and the beauty of that He gives to us the blessings, total fulfillment, complete well being, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are about. Paul isn't praying for better circumstances. This is what's really interesting. Study all of Paul's prayers, he prays for the people. He never prays for circumstance enhancement. You know, I mean, there's, I look at my life sometimes. My my, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible actually says that we can bring our prayer needs, our cast our cares upon Him, and the Lord's prayer gives us a segment in there of petition and taking our needs and give us today our daily bread and those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible actually teaches that. But Paul never prays any of those. He never prays for circumstance enhancement. You know, he, he for us. God, don't let it get above 100 degrees again. Let us have nice, cool weather. In fact, give it to us all summer long. Please, God, please. He would say, move, move. You need to move to another place. That's what you need more than anything. But he doesn't pray for circumstance enhancement. Why is that? Because if you have what he's praying for, you'll be able to handle any and all circumstances. And by the way, you'll notice that I put down humble confidence. It's a a phrase that we use around here quite a bit. What's the opposite of humility? Yell it out to me. Pride. Yeah, so the opposite of that, of humility, is pride and confidence. What's the opposite of confidence? Fear. So let me just say that you can experience life change that's motivated out of pride and fear. But that's more of a moral restrained will. And not a supernaturally transformed heart, because that's what you're looking for. Because that, that, it's kind of the gun to the head, it's more of that extrinsic motivation. Sure, you can, you know, put on the show, the dog and pony show in front of people because they're watching, and hey, Christians act this certain way, and we need to, you know, we need to act like that. Well, that's fear and pride motivation. As opposed to a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Christ, that's a supernaturally transformed heart that it doesn't matter whether you're watching or not, this is the kind of person I'm going to be because he's so gotten a hold of my heart that I have a relationship with God and ultimately I live for an audience of one and that matters to me more than anything. That's, that's what I'm talking about here so that we can face anything with humble confidence because a smitten heart by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ knocks out the, f- the pride, gives us humility and it knocks out the fear. It knocks out the pride and that I recognize I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. And knocks out the fear because it says, not only that, I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. When when I look at the cross, I begin to understand the implications of the cross. So, why do we need vision? It is the enlightenment of believers to see more clearly what we already have in Christ so that we can face anything with humble confidence to the praise of His glory three times in this chapter verse 6 12 and 14 to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory so let me ask you this how do you know someone is enjoying something you can kind of tell if somebody's really enjoying something or someone to the praise of their glory i want you to do this real quick turn to the people sitting around you since it's getting kind of hot out here most of us are already starting to think about vacations (laughs) where's your favorite vacation spot Tell the people sitting around you where your favorite vacation spot is and then tell them why it's your favorite vacation spot. Real quick, do that. Okay, so uh, what were you doing right then? What were you doing right then? You're, you're, you're praising. Did, did, did anybody have a little bit of a flashback back to that vacation spot? And you're like, oh, I can't hardly wait. Ooh, this is good. Kind of make your heart like, beat a little bit faster. Anybody? Kind of, kind of, you kind of relive it as you share it. That's what praise is. Praise, as we've said the last two weeks, probably we've said it forever, but praise is evidence and completion of your joy, enjoyment of something. Or someone. I mean, we do it all the time, don't we? Don't we praise things? Don't we say, wow, check this out. And you should have saw that game. And man, did you see the way that guy scored that goal? And whatever, it's, that's all praise. We're, we're enjoying it. How many have found that it does complete your joy when you share those good things with, with family members or friends? Show of hands. Isn't it a lot of fun? You can't help but tell somebody on Facebook, ooh, check this out. Look at this food. Take a picture of it. Everybody's like, what is that? Can't figure that out. They're all, ooh. They all, they're all excited about that. That doesn't look very good on there. Ooh, But, I mean, we do that because we're trying to get people, we're trying to share our, our experience. Let me, let me just say this, even more so with Christ. You walk in vital union with Him. You get to know Him, and you have Him at the center of your life. <laughs> You're going to share that with others. They're going to see it. I mean, I had an experience yesterday. I was listening to a song I hadn't heard for a while. It sent me through the ceiling. I was over my computer. My wife's walking in. I'm over there going, you know, crying. Like, I was trying to fight back tears. I don't want my wife to see me crying. My goodness. She sees me cry all the time, especially when she's yelling at me. But, uh, okay, she doesn't yell. That was a bad joke. But, uh, don't don't yell at me, please. I'm sensitive. But... um, but no, I, mean, I, had one of those, I had one of those experiences just by listening to music. I just had a sense of the presence of God right there in my, my study. It was overwhelming. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you had that? I want that every day. So I'm doing whatever I can to have that kind of experience, whether it's through Bible study, prayer, listening to music, hanging out with people that stir that up within me. I'm like going for it. I want more of that. I want to see your glory and beauty because I know that when I do that, I can face anything. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. It's almost like that lip smacking, you know, when you're eating something. You know, my, I, I just thought of this. When, growing up in our home, when, when we'd have dessert, my mom would say, you can only have this much. And so I had a couple sisters that would always kind of, especially the youngest one. She was a little, where, where's my, young, my sister? Is she here today? Okay, I'm going to tell you this story. <laughs> she would kind of save hers back and pretend that she was eating so that my sister, older sister, and I, uh, Vicki, my older sister, We'd eat all ours all gone, and we wanted more, and our little sister was still over there just, ah, oh, look at this. Look what I've got. I've still got all of mine. So I'd say, Vicky, you take her, and I'll take the, the dessert she's got. You knock her out, and I'll take it, and then I'll split it with you later. No. And then we'd fight over it and stuff like that. But there was almost like this savoring. You're like, um, and everybody's like. I want some of that. How many of you have ever been at a restaurant before and everybody orders and you order something that's not so good but everybody else is like, oh, this is the best stuff ever and you're going, oh, I got, I got ripped off. This is bad stuff. Can I have what you have? Well, that's kind of a little bit of this relationship with God to the praise of His glory. Man, you are just enjoying His presence and everybody's going, Whoa, what the heck? What are you doing? Are you on drugs? Uh, what are you experiencing? I'm experiencing the very presence of God. I'm experiencing His love for me. I'm living in the reality of His blessings. So let's talk about what is vision. That's a little bit of why we need it. Why do we need vision? But, but what is vision? Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it kind of goes along with faith. You guys familiar with the faith chapter? If you want to know the definition of faith, you go to Hebrews 11.1. 11, 1. The whole chapter, actually, but 11.1 1 gives us the definition. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see isn 't that interesting so you 've got vision and you can 't see it in the in the physical in the temporal, but there 's something that you see that it 's gotten a hold of your heart. And so Hebrews eleven six it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God, so you want a relationship with God, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him or seek after Him. So faith is truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ entering the head, igniting the heart, and outworking through the hands. Faith is more than agreement with facts in the head. I mean, you can know a lot about Jesus and not really know Him and not experience Him and not to where it stirs your heart. So it's more than agreement with facts in the head, but it's a ferocious appetite for God that captivates the heart, and it's translated into how you live out your life. Faith is seeing with the eyes of your heart what you can't see with the eyes of your head. So here's another. See if you can uh, continue this verse. You guys are familiar with this. We live by faith and not not by sight. So are you living by faith or are you living by sight? So living by faith would be living with a sense of vision. I went through the Scriptures. This is just a short list, but sight, sight sees the storm, but faith sees the ark and the rainbow, Genesis 8. Sight sees the enemy pursuing and overtaking, but faith sees God parting the Red Sea, Exodus 14. Sight sees the fortified walls, and giants, but faith sees the promised land, Numbers 13. Sight sees adultery and murder, but faith sees a repentant man after God's own heart, Second Samuel 11, Psalm 51. Sight sees the den of lions, but faith sees Daniel, Daniel's angel shutting the lion's mouth, Daniel 6. Sight sees an overwhelming thorn in the flesh, but faith sees God's grace is sufficient, I know that some of you are facing things that seem overwhelming, but you need that vision to see His grace is sufficient. Sight sees weakness, but faith sees God's power made perfect in weakness. There's a video clip I'm going to show you right here. It's from one of my favorite movies, Braveheart. I always have to growl when I say that, okay? Sorry. But uh, it's a scene where William Wallace, and it's actually a great scene of vision, but he goes in to negotiate with the, with the princess of England. You guys are familiar with the story, how the English are oppressing the, the Scottish. And so he goes to negotiate, and, and she's actually trying to bribe him. Hey, did we get that put on? Uh, excellent. Okay, they've got subtitles for us people that have a hard time following accents. And, uh, but, uh, but there's a great scene, and they're interacting. I want you to see the vision that he has now, he was pretty passive until they killed his, his bride. And then he had vision to push back the oppressors, the English oppressors. And it literally, actually, at the end of the movie, it took his life. And, and that taking of his life, it was in that pain and the loss of his life that stirred up vision for them to push back the oppressors. But, but this princess, uh, he speaks vision into her heart. And I want you to kind of look at her eyes and see how she kind of responds. And it's the way that you are to speak vision into other people as it relates to God. It's a great clip, watch it.
1: I am the princess of Wales. I come as the king's servant and with his authority. To do what? To discuss the king's proposals. Will you speak with a woman? I understand you have recently been given the rank of knight.
2: I've been given nothing. God makes men what they are.
1: Did God make you the sucker of peaceful cities? The executioner of the king's nephew, my husband's own cousin.
2: York was the staging point for every invasion of my country. And that royal cousin hanged innocent Scots, even women and children from the city walls. Well, Longstrang's dead far worse the last time he took a Scottish city. Sanguinarius homo endometrist. est. That's a petition's mendatium. Ego nuncum pronunciare mendatium. Sed ego sum homo indomitus. Ou en français, si vous préférez. You ask your king to his face. Ask him. And you see if his eyes can convince you of the truth.
1: Hamilton, leave us. My lady. Leave us. Now. Let us talk plainly. You invade England, but you cannot complete the conquest so far from your shelter and supply. The king desires peace
2: Longshanks desires peace
1: he declares it to me i swear it he proposes that you withdraw your attack in return he grants you title estates and this chest of gold which i am to pay to you personally
2: a lordship and titles gold that i should become judas
1: peace is made in such ways
2: slaves are made in such ways The last time Longshank spoke of peace, I was a boy. And many Scottish nobles who would not be slaves were lured by him under a flag of truce to a barn where he had them hanged. I was very young, but I remember Longshank's notion of peace.
1: I understand you have suffered. I know about your woman.
2: She was my wife Married in secret because I would not share her with an English lord They killed her To get to me I've never spoken of it I don't know why I tell you now, except I see her strength in you be a queen, and you must open your eyes. You tell your king that William Wallace will not be ruled, and nor will any Scot will I live.
0: you see the vision? How many want to watch the rest of the movie? <laughs> okay. okay, let's go ahead and turn the lights down. We've got some popcorn that will be coming in here and soda vendors. Now, did you see the vision? What's driving his life? Vision. Nobody's going to oppress us. I mean that's almost kind of what you'd have to have rise up within you. I'm not going to let the enemy, I'm not going to let my sinful nature, I'm not going to let this world oppress me anymore. I'm going to go for God. He has given me everything that I need. There's that sense of vision he has given me. I'm that's what I'm going for. And then when we speak vision into people, you don't say you're a terrible husband. That's not speaking vision into. Them. You say you have the potential within you. That's what he was saying to her. Do you understand what you have in you through Jesus Christ? You can be a wonderful husband, a great father. You can have an impact on those kids that will go on from generation to generation because Christ lives within you. Do you see the difference in how that can inspire within us when we begin to understand what we have in Jesus Christ? That's what vision is, so let me give you the next run-on sentence, okay? Here we go. What is vision? It is heart experience based on objective truth, generally and specifically to where my heart is most restless, knowing that I am God's most treasured possession and that His power toward me is greater than any trauma, trial, or temptation in life. Okay, let's go to the first one here. It is heart experience based on objective truth, Notice he says in verse 17, knowledge of God. He's not just saying that you have this intellectual that God is intellectually coherent, but God is existentially compelling. He moves you. He stirs you. You have a relationship with God. You interact with Him. You commune with Him. You talk to Him. He talks to you. You interact with God. That's what he's talking about there. Why do we need that? Why do we need to know God better? Because, as we said in that past teaching series on the God you long for, as we looked at the attributes of God... All of my problems are rooted in the fact that I either don't know God or at the moment have forgotten who it is that walks through my day with me. That's why I need to know God, not just up here, but down here in my heart. He is with me, never will leave me or forsake me. That's what I need to know deep in my heart, and that's what he's praying for. It's a heart experience based on objective truth. Generally, in a general sense, I kind of mentioned that, just walking with him, but specifically to where my heart is most restless. He says that in verse 18, first part, know the hope to which he has called you. This hope is confident, joyful expectation. Remember what we said last week as it relates to hope? I won't spend a lot of time on that, but the hope is... uh We have hope because there is a plan. Everything is in the plan, and Jesus is the point of the plan. What is part of the plan? My bad things will work for my good. The truly good things cannot be taken from me, and the best is yet to come. So I I live this life like a person playing poker that has the winning hand. I don't get stressed out. I don't get all worked up. I enjoy the game because God is in control, and my life is in his hands. See, that's that's that idea. And then I'm beginning to apply it to my life specifics. Let me ask you this this is how you begin to live this out. I I typically look at my inordinate anxiety or my inordinate anger or my inordinate sadness. A certain amount of it is normal in life, just processing. But if I'm staying there, if I'm camping out there, if it tends to be a pattern in my life, that's an opportunity for God to meet you right at your point of need. Don't you understand that? When you're going off on somebody, you're angry, you're upset, or whatever it is, that's an god opportunity that's an opportunity because you're trying to find your need to be met in that circumstance or in that person as opposed to jesus christ who meets all of our needs so you use that as an opportunity yeah i was pretty mean today wasn't i i'm so sorry please forgive me i know that if i don't have all my circumstances just right my sense of identity is wrapped up in that and i kind of go off i need to learn to trust in jesus more than my circumstances or in how people respond to me if you find yourself inflated by praise and deflated by criticism, it's because you put too much identity in what people say. And when you find yourself doing that, you pull yourself away from that and, you, and you, you, can't re, you can't remove idols. You can only replace them. And so you remove that idol or you replace that idol with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity. So you look, where's your heart most restless? How often do you take out time and just say, man, what's stressing me out or what's going on or how am I feeling deep inside of me? Some of you are driven to do things that that, if you could just get in touch with that, you wouldn't be so driven to 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 medicate yourself with whatever it is that you 're pursuing you 'd stop you 'd put an end to that excessive obsessive compulsive behavior or that that impulsive spending or compulsive spending that takes place in your life because you 're trying to fill a need if you just got in touch with the need that restlessness deep inside of you that's part of it and then knowing that i am god's most treasured possession verse 18 the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints i mean the bible has the audacity as we said last week to say that here's god who owns the universe with its galaxy stars and planets and yet looks at you and says you're my most treasured possession i I give my life for you so that you can know me and then the last one is and his power toward me That I would know this power toward me is greater than any trauma, trial, or temptation in life. And he kind of walks through, as I said, kind of in a meditative format as he's praying this, thinking about the implications of God's power, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. If you want to study more on that particular text, you go back to the end of our teaching series, The God You Long For, and you can learn a little bit more. So that's what vision is. So how can I have greater vision Pray this prayer every day for yourself. C.S. Lewis put it this way, it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. So as we worship him, as we engage him, as we talk to him, and I begin to pray this specific prayer, meditate on these truths until they ignite your heart. Meditation is a great, and this is kind of the questions that I will ask myself as I'm working through a text. How would my life be different if I knew this truth to the bottom of my heart? How would I be different if I really knew this truth? How would I be different as a spouse, as a parent, at work, in my everyday life? That's what meditation is. If God has blessed me, am I a person that's kind of characterizing those blessings in my life and how I'm living out and how I'm responding to the circumstances of my life? And then the next one is fellowship with people who help you to see what eyes can't see. So, okay. This isn't, finished but let me give you one more i prayed about it and i thought about this but there's actually one more to the list you can put this on the bottom somewhere find a place for it so we've got how can i have greater vision it's uh, the first one would be I, I would call it adoration prayer the next one is meditation meditate reflect on particular verses i, I go to bed at night reflecting on particular verses just going to sleep at night and the Lord will just, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning with just a whole new understanding of that verse. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night tossing and turning and I'll go back to that verse and God will speak to me at those times. And then so you got, you got adoration, meditation, fellowship is exhortation. you got people exhorting you and speaking vision into your life. But here's the last one, mortification. What? Yeah, mortification. You be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's what mortification is. And so Hebrews 12, 1, write that down next to that mortification. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so tightly to us. So, so there are things that are keeping you from seeing Jesus more clearly. Okay, I, I, I feel like I need to say this. It might be too much Pinterest. Oh, I shouldn't have gone there. It might be too much Facebook. It might be too much, you know, whatever. It could be too much TV time. I mean, that's the latest craze with the women. I'm not going to say anything with us guys because we don't have any problems. There's nothing that distracts us from Jesus. Uh, everything distracts us from Jesus, okay? So, what are the things specific to your life that are distracting you? And then, Matthew 5 29 and 30, what does it say? If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Oh, gouge it out. If, if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. What is he saying? He's saying go to drastic measures. Here's how he would wrap it up. Once you've encountered the life-liberating, soul-satisfying presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will do whatever it takes to see him more clearly, savor him more completely, and show him more contagiously. I mean, it's just gonna be a part of your life. Here's the last point. It's on your notes. It's a quote. Faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. Now, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be three prayer stations available that we can anoint you with oil and pray with you. If you've got some issues problems, anything. We all have issues. We all have problems. So we would love to pray with you. But you don't need to go that route. Here's another route. Here's the second route. is You can just hang right there in your seat and pray that prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray through that prayer. Just similar to what I, as I started the message with, I just kind of prayed the prayer. God, open the eyes of my heart. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Give me a spirit of wisdom. And revelation. But not just pray for you, but pray for the people sitting around you and also for this church. You can also do this. If you don't want to sit there by yourself, if you're with your small group, <clears throat> hang out with your small group if you're with a family if you huddle up right where you're at one of you open up the text and just pray through it that's all you need to do and then pray for it as it relates to the church and then say amen and then you can exit but do that quietly if you would please but if you want to go beyond that you can come to one of these three stations there'll be one here two here there'll be couples that will pray with you we will anoint you with oil we'll pray with you and we'll be basically praying a lot of the same prayer but we'll pray specific to where your, your need might be sound good? The next week we're going to party like crazy because we're going to baptize a bunch of people and just celebrate all that God's been doing here at Desert Breeze. If you want to get baptized, don't forget there will be a class right here. You can come up during right now and uh, Darren will come up here and kind of walk you through the specifics that you need to know. But uh, would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. We're going to turn the lights down. And just take a few moments and just think about what we talked about and pray this prayer. Make this prayer your prayer. God, we we come to you once again and we pray this prayer that Paul has given to us. It's, it's, it's amazing that he would end this chapter by praying because as, as believers, we don't see all that we have in you. Help us to see what we have in you. I pray that as people pray, as people come forward and are prayed for, Lord, may we encounter you today, this morning. May we know and see you more clearly and experience you more deeply in our hearts. God, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.